Section 9 of The Outline of Science, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Goldie. The Outline of Science, Volume 2, by J. Arthur Thompson. Chapter 12. Natural History. Birds. Part 1. Birds. In previous chapters of this book, we have discussed the evolution of animals in general, the inclined plane of behavior, and the everyday life of the body, and it has been necessary to make many references to birds. But there are good reasons for devoting a special chapter to this great class. Birds have entered closely into human life, and in manifold ways. They supply food, and they are the poet's symbols. Their feathers keep us warm at night, and the wing, the arrow of the bowman. Birds save the world from the continual menace of prolific insects, and they give the priest a basis for their auguries. To birds we must trace the enormous nitrate beds of Chile, which have fertilized the soil of half the world, and we may thank them, too, for a share in the impulse that has led man to his mastery of the air. Moreover, most birds are joys forever. Biologically regarded, birds are of supreme interest in their solution of the problem of flight, so different from that of insects, pterodactyls, and bats, in their variability and plasticity within a comparatively narrow range, and in their fascinating behavior with its remarkable blending of instinctive and intelligent activities. Millions of years ago, the evolution of birds from reptilian stock began, as has been already described in an early chapter of this work. At first sight, it is not easy to see any resemblance between birds and reptiles. The one group warm-blooded, conspicuously active and gloriously beautiful, the other cold-blooded, often sluggish, but perhaps also beautiful in their way. What kinship can there be between the falcon in the sky and the lizard on the wall? The students of comparative anatomy answers that the evidence of similarity are overwhelming. Bone by bone, the two creatures are built up on a plan that is certainly to a very great extent the same, however much the final products may be modified and adopted. Without much preliminary study of anatomical structure, these points might be difficult to apprehend and appreciate, and we cannot discuss them here. We must accept the verdict of the experts, and admit that birds are the descendants of a reptilian stock, not necessarily of any present-day group of reptiles, but rather of a common ancestor in the immensely remote past. Just one simple point of similarity between the two groups may be mentioned, the fact that both lay eggs, and eggs which are indeed closely alike in several respects, the dawn of bird life. We may imagine the ancestral forms as small lizard-like animals making the first beginnings of the kind of life which we see to great perfection in the birds of today. Real power of flight would be at first be absent among these early ancestors, but we may think of it as foreshadowed by a great power of leaping from branch to branch in the trees of the primeval forest, where these far-off ancestors of our birds had taken refuge from their terrestrial enemies. 
we may picture them as making the most of their arboreal hunt, probably using holes in the tree trunks in which to hide and to lay their eggs, and gradually developing a greater and greater agility in moving about above ground in search of food and in escape from such enemies as were still able to molest them. This mode of life would tend generation after generation to produce strong propelling hind limbs together with forelimbs armed with hook-like claws useful for taking hold at the end of each jump and for more leisurely clamoring at other times. The crucial step in the evolution of the true bird stock, however, must have been the acquisition of powers of real flight. At an early stage, the forelimbs would be held out sideways during each leap, and later the surface area would become enlarged by the development of a fold of skin between each of these limbs and the body. Later yet, this fold would become still more important, and its area would be still further increased by the transformation of its covering scales into some primitive form of feather. Longer and longer leaps would become possible from branch to branch and from tree to tree, as these aids to gliding flight improved. Finally, the last great step would be taken when a beginning was made of the active use of the primitive wings to prolong still further until the last indefinitely the distances possibly by leaping and gliding alone. It is a curious history, this tale of the origin of birds. In the first place, we seem to see the earliest ancestors as a feeble reptilian race driven from the ground and taking refuge among the branches. There followed ages of arboreal life during which the great adaptation of flight originated and was made perfect. Then came a day when the new race of birds fortified with the great advantage of mastery of the air spread abroad from the forests to reconquer the ground level, to find their bread upon the waters, to cross the seas to distant isles, and to defy the rigours of climate by their ability to change their season in a night. So today we have birds propelling the whole earth and filling every land with this abundant beauty of their plumage and their song and with the immense wonder of their eager spirited lives. Flightless birds. It is a strange side issue too to find that the priceless gift of flight has not always been preserved over and over again since the reconquest of the ground level, there have been birds which have discarded the faculty which was the making of their race. Over and over again also they have paid the extreme penalty, sometimes size and strength, sometimes an aquatic life, sometimes an island home, has been the factor giving security in place of flights. But with new conditions, the exchange has frequently proved to be unfortunate. Too often in recent cases the new condition has been the advent of modern man and his civilization. Several flightless species are indeed numbered among the birds which have become extinct within historic times. Among the Maoris of New Zealand there was a traditional knowledge of a giant running bird which they called Moa, but which they had exterminated before the arrival of white men. From the bones and other remains which have been found in some quantity, the birds appear to have been large members of the ostrich tribe, one species standing twelve feet in height. A related bird of similar history was the Pyomis of Madagascar, which forms the subject of the delightfully imaginative story by Mr. H. G. Wells.
This bird is sometimes identified with the legendary rock of the Arabian Nights. Not only its remains, but also its eggs have been found, and an egg in the British Museum, Natural History, measures more than 13 inches in length and 9.5 inches in breadth. The dodo extinct as the dodo has become a proverbial expression the saying refers to a bird allied to the pigeons about the size of a swan and of clumsy and uncouth appearance it was quite flightless and lived in security in mauritius until the island was visited by dutch sailors in the sixteenth century the hogs which these men brought with them were largely responsible for the subsequent rapid extermination of the birds and now the dodo is known only from some remains in museums and from the quaint drawings and descriptions of the early voyagers the ostrich tribe among the birds of the present day the ostrich tribe and the penguins are the principal examples of flightlessness the ostrich and its kin are for most part birds of large size possessing a soft hair-like plumage diminutive wings and strong legs they are capable of running at great speed across open country and also of kicking with suddenness and force their breastbones lacked the pronounced keel which is so noticeable in most birds and which serves for the attachment of the great muscles for working the wings in flight best known of course is the african ostrich now being domesticated by man for the sake of its plumes but there are also several kinds of American ostriches or rheas in South America and of cassowaries and emus in Australasia. Unlike their fellows are the kiwis of New Zealand, birds of no great size, timid and nocturnal in habit. Their long beaks and their hair-like plumage combine to give an exceedingly quaint appearance, and there are no visible wings. Penguins the penguins are rather a different case for their wings have by no means fallen into disuse they have become instead adapted for swimming there are many different kinds but all belong to the southern hemisphere and most of them to the far south many antarctic explorers have brought back tales of their lives but it is to dr murray levick who was with terra nova in nineteen ten that we owe one of the best accounts relating particularly to the adelie penguin these flightless birds will return over hundreds of miles of trackless sea to the same rookeries year after year to breed dr levick describes how the first penguin arrived at the rookery at cape adare toward the middle of october the southern spring and how four days later the birds were coming in across the still unbroken sea ice in such numbers that they formed a line stretching northward as far as the eye could see within a month the colony was some three-quarters of a million strong the adelie penguin builds a large nest of stones the only material available and the uses of this are evident when the thaw comes and the ground is covered with water and slush in this nest two large eggs are laid and one of the parents goes off to the sea to feed while the other remains to incubate the bird which leaves may be away for a week or ten days and the other may therefore not break its fast for as much as four weeks in all i know of no other creature says mr herbert g pooting from which man may learn a finer lesson of how resolution and steadfastness may overcome every difficulty than from the adelie penguin their bravery is amazing no blizzard however violent will drive these birds from their nests in the wild antarctic regions mr pooting relates that they are found sitting on their nests buried deep in the snow wondering where the birds had disappeared to after a blizzard he set out to investigate as i was struggling about 
wondering whether my penguin investigation has come to an abrupt end i was almost scared out of my life by a muffled squawk and felt something wiggling under my foot i had stepped on the back of a sitting penguin buried nearly two feet deep in the snow as the victim struggled out loudly protesting its wrath at this outrage we were convulsed with laughter then roused by our noisy mirth scores of black heads with guang eyes suddenly protruded from the snow to see what all the fuss was about that is how we discovered them they had not deserted the place but were attending to their domestic duties under the snow patiently waiting for it to blow away there were penguins everywhere it was impossible to walk without stepping on them the penguins are fond of all manner of amusements leaving their young under the protection of a few of the old birds most of the parents go off to disport themselves on the ice or in the water they will string out behind a leader and make for the near ice floes the party sometimes purposing along the way then tobogganing over the ice they followed in a line behind the leader doing exactly as he did the fun became fast and furious and i suppose they got a bit winded for after a while the courier gave them a rest following his lead they sprang on to an ice raft then still imitating his example they settled down on their breasts and basks a while in the sunshine prior to doing a few more laps that they all thoroughly enjoyed the game there could be no possible doubt the emperor penguin is the largest species and may stand over four feet high unlike the adelie its nest or rather lays its single egg on the sea ice itself and it is remarkable for breeding in midwinter incubation lasts for as much as six or seven weeks but the task is shared not only by both parents but by the strangely large number of barren birds living in the colony the chick has the rather doubtful advantage of a number of foster parents all desirous of participating in its care a strange condition of things which was well described by dr a e wilson who afterwards shared scott's tragic fate on the return journey from the pole what we actually saw again and again was the wild dash made by a dozen adults each weighing anything up to ninety pounds to take possession of any chicken that happened to find itself deserted on the ice it can be compared to nothing better than a football scrimmage in which the first bird to seize the chick is hustled and worried on all sides while it rapidly tries to push the infant between its legs with the help of its pointed beak shrugging up the loosened skin of the abdomen the while to cover it that no great care is taken to save the chick from injury is obvious from the examination of the dead ones lying on the ice all had rents and claw marks in the skin and we saw this not only in the dead but the living the chicks are fully alive to the inconvenience of being fought for by so many clumsy nurses and i have seen them not only make the best use of their legs in avoiding such attentions but remain to starve and freeze in preference to being nursed undoubtedly i think that of the seventy-seven per cent that die before they shed their down quite half are killed by kindness flying birds with this strange and rather terrible picture of the early life of the emperor penguin amid the rigours of the antarctic climate and on the naked ice of the frozen sea we may turn from flightless to flying birds the flightless birds indeed represent digressions from the main line of descent and cannot be regarded as stages in the evolution of modern flying birds from the ancient forms which first mastered flight in the forest of long ago birds share with mammals the distinction of being warm-blooded 
that is to say having a high and constant body temperature independent of surrounding conditions we may take this as an index of a high degree of vitality and of an advanced position in the evolutionary scale and we shall indeed find many other features which lead toward the same conclusion birds are noteworthy for alertness of mind and body for quickness of movement and for their mastery of the air they have highly developed habits and complex instincts they are in turn combative amatory parental cunning in pursuit and escape and in very many cases there is a surpassing beauty of plumage and voice which compels our intense admiration least is one of these words of variable and confused sense which drive men of science to use a language of their own but the term bird scarcely needs to be defined for its everyday meaning is also scientifically accurate this fact may perhaps be attributed to the existence of certain very distinctive characteristics common to all birds and to a large measure of uniformity and general appearance among the nearly twenty thousand different species which are known to science there are it is true wide differences in size in coloration and in manner of life but there are no gross divergences in form comparable to those found for instance among mammals between the tiger and the goat the kangaroo and the elephant or the bat and the whale this distinctiveness and this uniformity may both be accommodated for in one word flight the whole body of the bird is adapted to this habit of flying the bird's skeleton is a wonderful study from this point of view but here it but here it will suffice to mention the external features flight has brought with it feathers and these are a unique feature all birds have feathers and nothing that is not a bird possesses any trace of them furthermore the function of flight has secured a virtual monopoly over the four limbs and it has thus brought two other striking adaptations in its train a bird is of necessity a biped walking on its two hind limbs and its mouth has had to take the place of a hand thus leading to the evolution of a long flexible neck and of a hard beak which is often wonderfully adapted to the feeding habits of the particular species the flight of birds birds are of course true heavier than air machines and in former days man used to strive to learn their secret for the purposes of the flying machines which his heart desired but within the last few years the main physical principles of the airplane have become so familiar that we may perhaps reverse the process by using them in the description of our present problem just as gliders preceded airplanes so gliding flight may as we have seen have been the beginning of the mastery of the air in the case of birds and it is in gliding that the artificial machine and the bird are most alike in both cases advantage is taken of the resistance of the air and of the consequent upward tendency imparted to a body moving horizontally and having a flat inclined in their surface when we come to active flight a difference is at once obvious the airplane propellers supply a motive force independently of the plane while in the birds the wings are both propellers and planes at the same time there is indeed a further difference in that the airplanes propellers during level flight at least exert force purely in a horizontal direction the lifting force being wholly due 
as in gliding to air resistance. In the bird, the wing strokes themselves supply part of the lifting power, as well as propelling the body forwards. Nor must we forget the bird's tail, which plays a part in steering and balancing, as in the case of the airplane rudder. It is also often used as a brake, without which many a swiftly pouncing bird of prey would be apt to dash itself to destruction on the ground. Some of the larger birds are adept at soaring, and can remain in the air for a long time with motionless wings, and can even rise in slow spiral ascent to a great height. The late Mr. F. W. Headley, a keen and exact student of the flight of birds, came to the conclusion that this feat was inexplicable, except on the supposition that the advantage was taken of up currents in the air, the bird's actual motion being merely a gliding one. He pointed out that gulls are adepts at this when flying above the edge of a cliff, but that they cannot do it at sea, whereas aviators and air travelers know there are not the vertical disturbances caused by the varying ground-level temperature and by the changing elevation of dry land. Another feat, namely hovering, is familiar in the hunting method of the kestrel, which maintains a stationary position for an appreciable time. Against a strong wind, it would be easy to maintain a ground speed of nil, and it would be possible even with motionless wings. In still air, however, the ordinary gliding basis of flight is in abeyance, and altitude must be maintained by sheer vertical force of wing stroke the bird being thus more nearly equivalent to a helicopter than to an airplane speed and altitude the aviators of today compete to establish records for speed for endurance and for altitude how do birds stand in these respects as regards to speed in the first place one must remember the difference between ground speed and air speed both the airplane and the bird can for a certain expenditure of power attain a certain velocity in the body of air in which they are but the velocity as measured from the ground may be a very different thing thus an airplane travelling at a hundred miles per hour in a twenty mile per hour wind may seem from ground to be going at a hundred and twenty miles or at eighty miles per hour accordingly as it flies with or against the air stream so also of course with the bird all our speed records of birds except a few made from airplanes are necessarily in terms of ground speed and in many cases the particulars necessary for a wind correction are unhappily wanting what are some of the actual figures the available evidence has recently been summarized by colonel Meinzargen, with special reference to speed during migration he concludes that a bird has an ordinary pace which is the one used in migratory flight, and an accelerated pace of which it is capable for a short distance under stress of danger or in other special circumstances. Here are some of his figures. Carrier pigeons, 30 to 36 miles per hour. Over 60 have been recorded, but possibly only with a strong favorable wind. Crows, 31 to 45. Small songbirds, 20 to 37. Starlings, 38 to 49. Ducks, 44 to 59. He also quotes the case of a flock of swifts flying at 6,000 feet above Mosul in Mesopotamia, which in their ordinary flight easily outpaced the observer's airplane when it was doing 68 miles per hour. 
The airspeed of this astonishing flyer is, when accelerated, probably well over a hundred miles an hour. As regards altitude, it seems that all the birds have occasionally been recorded as high as 15,000 feet. They are indeed rarely met with above 5,000 feet, while the greater part of flight, including migration, probably takes place within 3,000 feet of the ground. The power of flight has given birds the key to one kind of habitat after another that might otherwise have proved to be too dangerous or too inhospitable. To the conditions of these different haunts, and in particular to different modes of procuring food, we see a great wealth of adaptation. There are hunters and fishers, catchers of insects and harvesters of seeds, eaters of crustaceans and eaters of worm plant eaters and honeysuckers, scavengers of carrion, and many a picker-up of inconsidered trifles. End of section 9. Birds.